Thank you. Wow. Good morning. Good, good to see everyone here this morning. How are you this morning? Good, good. Um, like, like Mark said, we've met over um, at, uh, at Redeemer, at City to City, and the Incubator, and it's been great to, to build and grow and develop the relationship that we have with one another. Um, it's been especially, I think I mentioned it last time, I was here to, to really be able to have a friend, you know, um, to be able to share life with, you know, someone that cares and will be praying with you. Um, and Mark has been that for me and has been such a great comfort. So thank you for having me here today. And it's my pleasure to be with you guys. Now, um, I'm a little bit different. You know, I like a little bit of feedback as we go, you know, so I may ask questions and um, may, they may not necessarily be rhetorical. I mean, I may want you to shout out, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, we're going to be reading today from the book of First Peter. First Peter, the first chapter, and we're going to read verses three through nine. Um, as, as many of you know, if you don't know, Peter is one of the apostles. He was one of the first to hang out with Jesus from the very beginning. He saw the miracles and the powers and and he was with him throughout his ministry. And he was there when Jesus rose again. As the story goes in the in the New Testament, he was there. He saw Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And so he was an eyewitness of not only God's ministry and his power and his glory, but he was also a witness that what was prophesied about, about him coming, being that sacrifice, dying for many, and then coming back to life the third day. He saw that and he dedicated his life to that. And so here in First Peter, now this is many years later, He's been living his life for Christ. He's writing a letter to the Christians that are in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And he's, he's wanting to encourage them because they are suffering certain uh, trials and persecutions because of their faith. He's saying to them that, he, he starts out in this book, he tells them that they are God's chosen. And that's a beautiful thought. Just think about that for a minute. You're God's chosen. God chose you. When we think about chosen means like someone picked you. You, you're, you're loved. There's an affinity. There's an attraction. God chose you. You are God's elect. And he says that that's who you are living as exiles in this world. You're living as another word, way of saying it, living as resident aliens. You're immigrants here. An exile, a person that's a resident alien is somebody who has citizenship in another country, but they have their primary home in a country that's not their place of citizenship. And so he says, you're, you're living in a place that's not your citizenship, but it's your home. And living in a place like that, when they received this letter, they would have known that in the Roman times and in that area, they would not have been necessarily well received. Does that remind us of something we see today in our culture and our society? But what he's saying is that even in the midst of your sufferings and your trials, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to have hope. I want you to rejoice in the hope that you have. And so in First Peter, and in the books of Peter, first and second Peter, he wants to encourage the church to have hope, to endure. 
And so I want to talk to you today about a living hope that's a real hope. It's not just something that's a pie in the sky and that you, you, we don't really know. He's saying, I want you to really have hope and believe in this because it's a real hope. So let's read together in 1 Peter. I believe you have it in your bulletins. 1 Peter 3, I mean, chapter 1, starting from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, he says, so that, so that, you're suffering trials temporarily, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks to you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to receive your word, to hear your word, and open your word to our hearts. As the prayer went forward earlier, Lord God, that we would, um, that there would be something that takes place in us, in our spirits, in our minds, that we would not leave this place the same. We ask for your blessings today, and we're grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, Peter is writing a letter, and I think it's important for us, again, just to remind us that he's writing this letter to the Christians that are in Asia Minor. This is a historical document. This is something that actually took place. This isn't something that's um, uh, just a theory or an idea that maybe he did this. This is something that is a reflection of something that actually happened. He sent this. And the people that put it in the Bible did some research to make sure that these people in Asia Minor did exist, these churches did exist, and that he did write it. So we have to look at this as a, uh, an actual um, factual piece of writing, historical writing. Um, when we look at what Peter is writing, I think in verse 6, it gives a clue to us as to why he is writing this letter to them. He wants to establish them. He wants them to be firm and be encouraged in their walk with God. Because like I said, many of them were being persecuted and experiencing trials. Many of them weren't getting the opportunities for the business deals. And not only that, some of them were having some of their properties taken, some of them were beaten. It was just, you know, it was pretty, pretty perilous times. And he didn't want them to give up 
on their hope. He didn't want them to be discouraged. He wanted them to, to have hope and courage. And so he's writing this letter and he wants them to, to be able to know that they're even in their adversity, even in their struggle, he didn't want them to lose their faith, but to be encouraged and to be full of hope. In fact, you know, what he wrote all the way back then, what was true then is true now. Yes, he wrote this text, you know, nearly 2000 years ago, but what he wrote to them then is very applicable to us today. And I'm going to try and bring that out in our text today. I want to start out by telling you uh, a story. And there's a story. Uh, how many of you heard of the author Jim Collins? Jim Collins, um, nobody raised their hand. I'm surprised. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All of the older folks in the place. How many? No. Um, so uh, Jim Collins is, uh, he's a, a professor at Stanford University. He writes to the business community. He, took, he, he you know, many people look to him to, for guidance on how to run businesses better. He wrote this book called Good to Great. And in this book, he's writing to companies, not only to be a good company, but how to be a great company, how to deal with the adversities and the challenges of the market, how to excel, right? And so he writes this, this book to, to companies on how to be great. And in the book, he writes about this guy um, by the name of Ad, um, Admirable, uh, Adm Admiral Jim Stockdale. Jim Stockdale um, was the highest ranking military officer that was in um, a prisoner of war during the Vietnam War um, at the Hanoi Hilton. And he was a prisoner of war for eight years from 1965 to 1973. And during his time as a prisoner, there was no prisoner rights. There wasn't even any hope that he would get out. He had no idea how long he would be there or if he would ever even make it. And he was suffering for all that time um, tortures on a regular basis. And um, he was there. And on top of that, not only did he experience that, but also he had the, the weight of trying to lead the people, the other prisoners that were with him, to try to encourage them so that they wouldn't break under the tortures. At one point, he beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor so that he couldn't be used as propaganda uh, to say that the prisoners were being treated well. And he endured this for um, a very long time. Well, um, Jim Collins heard about him and he heard about, you know, fast forward, um, the war is over and uh, the Admiral has been released from um, the prison. And now he's come back to the U.S. He's been reunited with his, his wife, and they've built a family. He's been successful. He's now also a professor in California. And Jim Collins, you know, heard about him, and he wanted to, to meet with him. And in preparation to meet with him, he um, got his book, um, In Love and War, written by the Admiral and his wife. They wrote it together about the letters that they would send back and forth each other over the course of those eight years of his imprisonment. And as Jim Collins was reading uh, his book and he read it and he read it, he became more depressed. He became more despondent. He was like, what? 
And it dawned on him. He says, I'm sitting here on Stanford University, and it's a beautiful day outside. It's a beautiful campus. And I know that um, Jim Stockdale made it back alive, and he had a successful career. But as I'm reading this, I'm becoming depressed. I'm becoming hopeless. How did he do it? How did he survive all those years not knowing what he, what he is experiencing right now? And so when Jim Collins actually met him, he, he began to, to talk to him and he asked him. He said, um, you, know, I read, you know, I read your book and it, it was pretty heavy and I'm just wondering, um, how, did you, how did you do it without even knowing the end of the story? He says this, he says, I never lost faith in the end of the story. He always had hope. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted only that I would get out. He only believed that he would get out, that he would prevail in the end, and that that experience would be the turning, that would be the defining event in his life. And, and in retrospect, he says he would not give anything for that. He said he never gave, hope, gave up hope. And then he said, well, well, who didn't make it out? Because, you know, there were those who survived and those who didn't. He said, who didn't make it out? And, and this is what surprised me. He said, the optimist. You know, I like to think that I'm an optimistic person. I'm an optimist. And, and some of you, I'd imagine, th would consider yourself an optimist. He said, the optimist didn't make it. Why didn't they make it? He said that the optimists were the ones that said, we're going to get out in Christmas, by Christmas. And Christmas would come, and Christmas would go, and it would still be there. And then they would say, we're going to get out at Easter. And then Easter would come, and then Easter would go, and then it would still be there. And then Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving would come, and then we're back to Christmas again. And he said over time, constantly having that hope that they were going to get out at this certain time, and then coming to that time and not getting out, he said they died of a broken heart. Those who were like that, later on he would say, he said they became mean, they became cruel, they, be, they, they, they even just gave up and didn't even want to get up in the morning, and many of them succumbed to the diseases that were in the prison camp. He said it was the optimists that didn't make it. They died of a broken heart. And then he told Jim Collins this. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. Confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And so just Jim Collins talking to a company, talking to them, not only works for companies, but it works for individuals. It works for organizations. It's, Always believe that you will prevail no matter what. But when things get bad, deal with that as a reality. Deal with it as a reality. You know, when I look at that, um, I see that as a very practical and real way of how what Peter is saying to the church in Asia Minor. That's a, a modern day um, story about what Peter is really trying to encourage the people, the Christians in Asia Minor to do. And that is, you have a living hope. You have a promise that you win, 
that you live with God forever in paradise. Jesus Christ has come and made that possible for you. I know that you're suffering persecution now. I know that you're experiencing trials now, but you have the hope that you will endure. I want to show you in our text today um, how we appropriate and live that out in our lives. Um, together, we need to look at our lives and examine how this gospel shapes and forms us, how it helps us to live with hope and joy and confidence in him. And I'm going to do that by looking at three things, and that is what has happened to you, what will happen to you, and what is happening to you now. First, what has happened to you? You know, okay, well, in verse 3, it says that we've been given something. What is it that we've been given? We've been given new birth and a living hope. We've been born again. That's something that we receive spiritually from God. God comes into our lives, we come alive spiritually, and we begin to see things. And when we come alive and are born again, the Christian, when the Christian comes to God and is born again, we have a living hope. And that's important because this living hope is not just some wise saying written down on a piece of paper. It is a living hope that's a present tense. It's active. It's breathing. It's moving in our lives. One of the worst things that can happen to a person is to lose hope. I've read that many psychologists will say, and they've written down in their studies and said that in order to enjoy life or have a successful life, we have to be able to deal with sufferings. We have to be able to deal with the sufferings that we experience in life. And we're not able to deal with the sufferings that we experience in life if we don't have hope. If we don't have something that we can hope for that will give us the strength and the fortitude to make it through the tough times. Admiral Stockdale, he warned others not to set their hopes on faulty expectations but to hope that they will make it out even in the midst of adversity. Peter is saying that you may experience trials, persecutions, but you have a living hope. You can be encouraged to know that you make it past your trial and you will outlive your trouble. You're no longer the slave or the fear of death, of not making it. And you say, you know, I say, no longer the slave or fear of death. And you go, wait, 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 wait. That's a nice story. I don't think about death. I'm living life. I'm trying to be successful. But wait a minute, do we? Does, does, does the, the fear of death or dying, does it come up in our thinking subconsciously somehow? Do we think about it? Have you ever been hurt in a relationship? Have you ever lost an opportunity? That's some, in some ways, that's a death. That fear of loss, that fear, uh, and, and, and did we experience that loss, a loss of a loved one? That's a death, a fear of opening up, extending ourselves, a, a, a future prospect. It says in Hebrews 2, the writer says to the Christians, he says, Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, he says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil. 
who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. There's something powerful about what Jesus Christ has done for us. When he went to the cross, he broke the powers of the enemy to free us in our hearts, to free us in our souls, to free us in our minds from the fear of death. I know we don't think of ourselves as being a prisoner in a camp, but, but there's, a, there's a part of us that when we do life and we experience life and we're going through life, sometimes do you wonder, will you make it? <laughs> I know I do. And I know I need something that I can hold on to. I can, I can grasp that will give me hope, that will give me joy. It changes my perspective. It changes the way I look at life. You know, I can look at things in a negative point of view and, and come out with negative words and, and, and change my perspective in the relationships that I have. But when I have the hope that I find in Christ, that is, that is an enduring hope, that is a hope that lives and breathes and, and that endures forever, I can walk in joy. I can walk in peace. I can walk in all that God has for me. I've thought about that. I'd imagine that, that, that you have too. We don't think about dying every day, but we do experience those deaths of relationship and those deaths of opportunity. And in those moments when we have a living hope in the midst of those trials, we won't become hard and mean and closed and cruel. And we can, we can give up and, 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 and we won't give up and we can begin to, to believe and hope for the future. No, what I have begun to do in my own life as I've read this and I've experienced this is I began to preach this gospel to myself. I began to talk this thing to myself and I have to say it to myself. Not me trying to work it out in my own strength and my own ability, but I have to say what is true then. It has to be true for me now. And I preach that. I say, I got a living hope. Now, will you say with me, I have a living hope. All right now, all right now. We're we getting somewhere. We're we working it out. Things may be dark right now, Peter's saying, but I'm, you're going to make it through. You're not going to die. Things in your life may be dark. You may be experiencing something hard right now, and you're coming here today. You're looking for hope. You're wanting hope, and you have a smile on your face, but in the back of your mind, you're concerned about your future. You're going to live. You're not going to die. You live forever. You have a hope. No matter what trial, no matter what suffering, no matter what struggle you go through, you have a reason to have joy and hope for tomorrow. You know what? When you have hope that you're going to make it through, okay, okay, now that relationship has gone bad. <laughs> now your perspective is, it's not over. There's not something wrong with me. God is allowing that to happen in my life to get that person out of my life so that he can give me something better. When you get missed over in that job opportunity or the, that dream job that you thought was going to be the thing, that brought the joy and the fulfillment in your life. And it doesn't come through. Well, maybe that's not the one for you, but there's something better. Are you with me on that?
all right now. Let me know every now and then. In our, in our culture, there's a faulty theology out there that says that, you know, um, if we name it and we claim it and we just grab it, you know, we can walk in everything, you know. And, and when things go bad, that means there's something with your faith, you know, your faith is not working right, something's wrong with you. You know what? That never was the teaching in the New Testament. That never was the teaching of the apostles. That never was the teaching. You said, look, you're going to suffer stuff. And even though you suffer, you need to have joy. But there's a reason you have joy, not just because you get stuff but because there was someone that loves you, cares for you, that chose you, that you've been set apart for, and he's prepared a place for you. There's a reason for us to have hope. So that's what has happened. We have a living hope because of our new birth in Christ. We're born into this living hope, but what will happen? Verse four says that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. What is this inheritance? Isn't it eternal life? He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about living. Imagine living and not die. When we, when we think about going on vacations, when we talk about having that, that dream job, it's all about living. See, as long and the things that we have on this earth alone, everything is fading. It has a cycle. It has a season. It's going to end at some point. Jesus gives us the greatest gift. He says, I want to give you something that's not going to fade. I want to give you something that's not going to end. I'm going to give you something that is eternal, that has life forever. And so you can always have hope and always have joy in him. Let's consider the implications of having an inheritance that's imperishable. Let's take a moment and consider what that means to us. We have an inheritance that's in heaven, that's been set there for us, that's waiting for us, where there's no decay, there's no rot, it doesn't fade away, it doesn't lose its luster, and it doesn't erode over time. It's preserved for us. It's being kept for us in heaven. That means nothing on earth, no circumstance, not even you can cause it to go away. Consider that for a moment. Nothing, nothing. Nothing is going to make that go away. That's something to hold on to. That's something to grab on to. That kind of hope is protected in heaven from war. It's protected in heaven from a bad economy. It's nothing can destroy it. Not even you. You can't destroy it. Not your circumstances. Not even death. And what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that that impacts and that affects how I live my life. That affects the decisions that I make, where I live, how I wake up in the morning, the hope I have in, 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 my, in my home, the hope I have in my community, the hope I have for my country, for the future. It affects me because if I have an inheritance, just imagine for a moment, imagine, imagine, you go home and there's a, you, 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 you pick up the phone and there's an attorney. Somehow you have a long lost relative that you don't even know. They know you and they put you down on the will and you got $10 million, $10 million as an inheritance. First of all, you're going to be like, I'm getting punked, right? <laughs> you know, don't be trying to punk me, you know, because some camera's going to watch over there and watch me jump up and down, go, ah, you know, it's like, no, no, no. You want to make sure that it's legit. When you find out it's legit, then you're going to be like, okay, okay. 
How does this impact my life? What am I going to do tomorrow? Where am I going to live? Who am I going to spend my time with? You're going to start thinking about stuff like this. What am I not going to put up with anymore? (laughs) You start thinking about all the people and all the places, and you're like, I'm not putting up with that anymore. I got an inheritance. You walk into that office and you go, I'm out of here, buddy. But we have an inheritance that's in heaven, that's stored up for us, that's waiting for us, that's real. How does that impact our lives today? How we live today, where we live, how we treat people in relationships. This is what will happen to you. You will receive that inheritance. And what is happening? We look in verse five. He says that you're being guarded by God's power through faith. You're being guarded through God's power by faith. What is God doing right now is protecting you through faith. God is protecting us through faith. Your faith is being formed as you go through trials. I know you don't like it. I don't like it. I come up in the same culture. I want it nice and easy. But God is saying that those trials are doing something not only around you, but in you. You're being refined. Later on in, that, in, that, in, in, in our text, it says that it's like, um, like gold that is being refined. And I've read where it says that gold, um, it, has, it can be refined in a fire. I'm told that they'll set it on top of a fire and with the heat and of, of that fire, um, it doesn't make it weaker, it makes it stronger. Because the, there are certain impurities, there are certain um, deficits, there are certain things that are in the gold and the heat the fire of the trial of, or, or the fire brings those things out to the surface. Things that you didn't see before, things that you didn't realize that was going on in your life, your trial, your suffering is going to bring that stuff out to the surface. But it's not there to make you weaker. It's there to purify. It's there to make you stronger. It's there to make that faith or to make that gold, as I'm using this, I'm jumping all back and forth, jumping, jumping. Um, The gold purer. God uses that. It it, it separates within us. It comes out. When a Christian comes alive to faith, he experiences a new birth. That person is given a new, a living hope, and that totally changes the way we look at life, the way we live life, and what we're going through. And then we go through trials, we go through challenges, and those things, that preserves our soul. That strengthens us. That guards us. We're being guarded by God in a trial. How weird is that? How different is that than what we normally think of in our normal lives? I like um, what Tim Keller. Have you, any of you guys ever heard of Tim Keller? <laughs> uh, Tim Keller says, It's through the heat of adversity that our hearts are melted if we allow it to. We become more joyful in our hope and patient in our suffering. I want to say that again. We become more joyful in our hope and patient in our suffering. 
We become more patient with others and compassionate. We grow in our capacity to feel joy and to feel pain and suffering. We increase, in effect, the capacity of our hearts to be human. We increase our capacity to deal with life. So I just want to remind us about the Stockdale paradox or the Admiral Jim Stockdale. The paradox is that you never lose hope, you never lose faith that you're going to make it. But you confront the brutal facts that, um, of your current reality, no matter how hard it is. It is what it is. You can just say that. It's cool. You can say, it is what it is, you know. We may suffer trials in life. We may not be understood because we're living as exiles, as Peter is saying to the Christians. And really, Christians today, the way we approach life and how we live and the hope that we have in an eternal life, you know, that's different. We have hope in a different world. We think different. We live different. And we're living in a culture that doesn't understand our Christian culture. I mean, when someone doesn't understand, sometimes feel threatened by that, you can suffer trials. You can be persecuted because of what you believe and where you're from. But even in the midst of that, God says that he's building up our faith. He's allowing our faith to be stronger, to be all that it needs to be so that we can walk in the fullness of who he is. God is keeping that treasure for you and he's keeping you for it. So it's all about God. It's all about what God does. It's God has given us a new birth. That's what he has done. Um, God has given us an inheritance. That's what we will have. And God is keeping us. He's keeping us today through our struggles, through our challenges. What you go through, what seems like just normal life, it's not just normal life. There's something being worked out and perfected in your life. So that's what's happening now. That's what's happening to us today. And we need to encourage ourselves with this truth because what was true then is true now. And the salvation and joy then we can experience now if we hold on to that. Speaking of Jesus, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now that was the ultimate, ultimate in suffering and sacrifice. He did it all for us. Well, how do you endure? How do we do it today? We do it by looking to Jesus, looking at what he's done for us and, and how he's gone before us and paved the way, showed the way. And he says to cry out to him. He says to ask him. And he gives us the strength, the grace, and the ability to do it ourselves. This isn't, you know, you read this and now you got to work really, really, really hard to do it. We can't do it on our own. Our hope is an enduring hope. It's not on a life cycle. It doesn't happen because we got a new job or new relationship. Our hope is stored up for us in heaven an enduring hope that doesn't fade. And we have it in Christ. We look to Jesus. We cry out to him. If, if you know, I don't presume everyone here is a believer in Christ. I'd imagine there's a bunch of us that are. 
But if you're in a place today where you're not sure about this Jesus, this is what he says to us. He says that he gives us a hope that is enduring and he gives an ability in us to live this life filled with joy where we grow and we become better in him. Your trial, your struggle, it's not there to destroy you. It's to perfect you and make you stronger. <sighs> so you may think your faith is being ripped apart in the trial, but it's being made pure. And your capacity to receive and to give love is going stronger. Let's rest in that hope today. Let's pray. Father, so grateful we are today for the truth of your word, how you make it real to us. I pray that all of us, as we've heard your word today, I pray that you would help us now to look to you and trust in that hope, to hope in the Christ, to hope in the one that has prepared the way for us and help us now to, to then look at our lives and to walk it out with that hope for the future. I pray your blessings on everyone that is here today. Bless them in their homes and bless them um, as they sit for coffee with friends and family, as they eat meals. I just, I ask, Lord God, your grace and your blessings on all of us today and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.